know, it's interesting. Uh, that song, Waymaker, uh, we're going to even find between this week and next week the huge difference between following the Lord and remembering that he is the way maker, the promise keeper, the one that does things for us, the miracle worker, and not following the Lord and forgetting those things and the difference between uh, the two. So we're going to even see that starting this next week. So that'll be an interesting time. So why don't you grab your Bibles? We are in Joshua 6 this morning. We're finally in, you know, in chapter 6, and, and uh, the first time you study Joshua, you think, okay, you know, they're going to enter the promised land. So, so you open it up, you start reading in chapter 1, you think, and I forgot to dismiss the kids. So uh, kids, if you want to go ahead and go with Nicole, go for it. Normally we do that earlier in the service, but we're keeping him in a little later right now, so I always forget. So, But uh, as I was saying, you know, you, you open up the book of Joshua and you start reading it and you're thinking, okay, they're going to they're gonna cross the river and they're going to fight on Jericho. Let's get to it. And then by chapter 5, you're wondering why, okay, this is taking a long time. And, and, you know, it takes five chapters of God preparing them and one chapter of actually accomplishing it. And the more chapters of God, it seems that, that he is preparing all of us for something at one point or another. And we, this is a, a true biblical concept, the reality of our lives. It seems like we're, we're either, you know, always going into a trial or always just are in a trial or we just came out of a trial. It seems like that, doesn't it? Sometimes life just kind of rolls that way. And one of the things that, uh, that I'm really learning is this. The preparation stage is so crucial to my success with the Lord. Now, the evaluation you know, part of this is also important. We need to get to a point to, to think, okay, what, what decisions did I make? What decisions didn't I make? Where, where should I have done the things differently? Did it help with things? And we continue that relationship with the Lord as we start trying to figure out, okay, how is God trying to, to mold me in making decisions? Did it hurt other people? Did it hurt the relationships that I have with them? Did it hurt my relationship with God? So next time, I, maybe I should do things differently. And if I don't do this evaluation, then the Lord will have me go through a trial that's very similar to the trial I just got out of. Have you ever done that? The Lord puts you through a trial, and, and then you get through it, and you're just like, whew. And it seems like all of a sudden a new trial comes through, and you're like, but I just went through this. And you've got to stop and think, okay, maybe the Lord's trying to teach me something here. Maybe the way I'm going about decisions isn't the best. See, God intends for us to take a certain amount of laps, and like the Israelites will do with Jericho. But if I don't follow the Lord, it seems like I have to go more laps. Today we'll see 13 laps. And that's a lot of laps around this little place. Good amount of time uh, for them to get to know the wall. And, you know, after 13 times, you really know the wall. Okay, that's the crack. Okay, we got another hour of walking. Okay, uh, we come up. Okay, that, that's the dent in the wall. That's where that rock fell out. Okay, we got another 15 minutes. You know, you kind of start to, to understand it. And, 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 you know, God has a plan for them as they take these laps around the wall. You see, life for us is like this. 
God has certain plans, and sometimes those plans, you know, are the same lapse over and over and over again, and we start to feel like we're stuck in this pattern, and we know that God has a plan, but we have to think, what is it? And we start thinking, what is it? What is it? I wish I could tell you there was five steps to, to get yourself unstuck. You know what I'm saying? Just follow these five things and, and, and everything will work out. But reality is this. It all happens in God's timing. Period. Plain and simple. It happens in His timing. And our ability to evaluate and change things, you know, change and, and go toward God's way of doing things helps mold us. And when we finally win the battle, He moves us on. And we're like, but I want to stay here and I want to celebrate. And God's going, no, I need you to, to move forward. We've learned that lesson. And the reason is that because we tend to build memorials. We tend to, to, to think that, that we're the reason and we're, we're intending to glorify God, but what we end up doing is glorifying man. Before we get to the end of this book, this, you know, that exact thing will happen. Israelites will fight 30 battles and three major military campaigns, and the Lord strategically has them smash Jericho first. There's a reason why they're at Jericho before they go to Ai. You must conquer Jericho because it's the fort. It's the beginning of a, a valley, and we're going to talk about that uh, next week. The, it, it's the low part of the valley, and A-I or I, however you want to pronounce it, is, a, is a, another city up at the upper part of the same valley. And if they win both, then they will own the valley. And they'll split the Canaanite people into two. Then they'll head, head south and, and fight battles there, and then they're going to head north and all the way up to Lebanon. But they will not do any of this unless they conquer Jericho first. Verse 1, chapter 6, it says, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the, uh, with, with the priests blowing the trumpets. And we're going to see this repetition of seven over and over again. Verse 5, it says, When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all your people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of them. And he ordered the people, Advance and march around the city with the armed guard going out ahead or going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Now, Jericho, we think of Jericho as this huge walled city. And in one sense it is, but in another sense you've got to think of, this is like seven acres uh, of an area. It's not a huge city. And most people lived outside the walls. You know, the city was, was uh, for business. The fortress was for business. And it was, it was for protection and, and a, a place where they worshiped their false gods. And, and you know, so, so as they, you know, fear an army's coming, what do they do? They grab their favorite animals, right? And they head toward the city. And if they had children, they grab their favorite children. 
one of you got that. One of you. Come on, people. They grabbed their favorite children, all their children, and they headed to the city. And the city is kind of shut up, shut up really tight. Armed guards, you know, are on the wall. They're in every window. They're looking out. And probably one is even in Rahab's window, as we talked about earlier. And the guy messing with the scarlet cord going, let me get this out of the way. And she's probably sitting there going, don't you dare touch that thing. And the look on her face told the soldier, I'm not touching it. He's like, this woman will, no. I, okay, I'll leave that cord hanging out the window. And they prepare for an initial attack that could last days or weeks or months. It's like a siege. They're waiting each other out. So it's packed with enough food and water and supplies to last a while. And there's guys up on the walls. And if you got anywhere, you know, close to about 200 yards from the walls, they would start launching stuff at you. You know, we think of this time as primitive. It wasn't that primitive. They had, you know, launch capabilities. They could build different stuff like this. And uh, if you go to Israel and, and stuff, you can see uh, one. Uh, what, what's, what's that, uh, Lisa? My mind just went blank on me, and she's shaking her head. Um, there, there's a fortress that, uh, uh, that they hu- have a huge machine down. It's a replica of, of what they built, and they built a huge hill going up to it. And, I mean, they had this kind of stuff, so they would just launch this stuff at you. And Jericho has been shut up for weeks now and they've never seen this many people outside their gates before. A whole nation is on the other side of the river is now within striking distance. There's probably a lot of late night meetings going on in Jericho. A lot of late night things going on, a lot of discussion. And they're sitting there going, okay, at least they're on the other side of the river. There's no way for them to get across, okay? And then all of a sudden the next emergency... They made it across. How'd they make it across the river? Tell me again. And you're seeing this from the walls of Jericho, and you're sending out men to see this and all this stuff. And they're really trying to act brave at this point, but in a sense, they're shaking in their boots. Think about it this way. I think our property, we have about four acres, so double our property. That's the city of Jericho with a wall around it. So when I say it's not huge, you kind of get that idea. They have 30, you know, 30 foot high walls all the way around, about 12 feet thick. Enough for chariots to, to race around the top as they protected the city. Now later on we'll talk about the discrepancy in the, the army size of Israel. Right now I'll give you both numbers uh, until we really talk about it. But just, to, you know, I just don't want to take that time today because my wife would kill me if I go over like I did last week. But, uh, you know, the army is, is anywhere from 40,000 men, and others think it was 400,000 men. So we'll talk about that discrepancy later, why the two different numbers. But if it was 400,000 fighting men, they would take up themselves about 19 acres. Imagine the 2.5 million people, how much land that is taking up. And they're sending out their spies. So they're, you know, now if it was 400,000 fighting men, oh, yeah, 19 acres. So I talked about that. So, so now Jericho does, you know, does know that they're camped out there, but they don't know when the attack is going to come. They're not doing any maneuvers. Not much is going on. It seems like all the men are hiding in their tents. We don't know why. They, they haven't heard all the stories. They don't know what's going on. Silence uh, seems to be the day. And silence can sometimes be disconcerting, can it? You're in the middle, middle, and then somebody just goes silent, and you're like, what? What? So that's kind of how the army's acting. 
And I think Israel is probably second-guessing Joshua right now. But God does have them reconnecting with him for a reason. Because he is going to fight the battle. As we talked about last week. What Jericho also does not know is that the commander of the Lord's army and Yahweh, in other words, Yahweh and Joshua are standing right outside the walls and they're talking. Joshua's come up to to spy on the city while all the men are recuperating and a well-placed arrow could take Joshua out. They're kind of in the danger zone and then the Lord takes uh, time to talk to him in the middle of this danger zone. Can you imagine? I mean, I'd be like, uh, okay, God, come on, can, can we go down to the beach and talk? Can we get away from this area? Why, you know, you're, you're distracting, you know, I mean, what if they shot something right now, Lord? But the Lord's sitting there going, no, I want to talk to you now. For us, this usually happens on Friday when things are really busy. Everything you didn't get done on Monday, it's all due on Friday at 5 p.m. The Lord's trying to get a hold of you. But Lord, Monday would have been the day you should have talked to me. Uh, not now. I got a wall to deal with. But what happens for Joshua is this. The Lord says, here is your plan. Get the people. March around the city. Everyone be really quiet the whole time. And then eventually, after six days, on the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times, and the priests are going to blow the trumpets. Wow. All the people walking around for six days. And the Lord says, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and fighting men. What is Joshua seeing right now? Joshua's looking at the walls. He says, I have delivered. Past tense. God has already done this. He's already done it. And I think, man, how, Joshua, how did, how did you get into your walk with the Lord? He doesn't even argue with God here. God is saying, see it. Don't you understand it? You know, I'm the one that's going to do this, not you. Joshua's probably getting a little excited right now because Joshua's faith is so huge because he must go back to his people. And then when he goes back and explains the plan, they're going to be like, what? Joshua is not creating this right here. He is not, uh, you know, he's not from that bunch of of think it, pray it, claim it, and all this. He's not naming it and claiming it or anything like this. But he is following the Lord. So he believes that the Lord is going to do this. So therefore, he's going to go out with that confidence that he needs to handle the task because he knows the Lord is in charge. Joshua is in tune with the Lord enough already to see it. I have delivered it, God says. Do you see it? See, God is bigger than anything Joshua could ever imagine. The walls are going to you know, fall down because God is going to do it, and they're following God. Are you willing to follow the Lord when he comes up with plans like this for your life? Are you willing to follow the Lord when it sounds kind of loony? I mean, following the Lord right now just sounds loony at all when you watch news and different programs and they just think you're crazy. But are you willing to let go of your life and allow Him to control things in your life? And everything involved in it. 
Well, God, you can control all this, but this right here, this is my baby. You, you leave this alone. And God's like, no, I want all of it. So I had to ask myself, could I be Joshua here? Because my mind goes straight to the scenario. Okay, people, now I'm just imagining here, okay? I'm not prophesying here or anything like that, okay? But okay here, people, God is going to give us Costco. So suit up, get your battle dress on, and meet me outside. Here's what we're going to do all week. We're going to walk around Costco all week. And no one can go in and buy a Costco dog, okay? I mean, you guys would think I was loony. But if it comes from the Lord, you know, how are we willing to, to follow him? Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what Joshua is doing. What is being sure? It's knowing. It's understanding. It's the knowledge that, that you have that God is in control. So faith is being sure of what we hope and what is certain. Another translation says evidence. What is evidence? Well, it's brought up in a court of law. God's actions in ours and others' lives. This shows us that God is good for those things that we cannot see. This is so real. This is so real. God did not make it up. And you are by this wall. And you know that Jericho has got to be conquered. You know, you know the wall like the back of your hand because you've been walking around it. And you just don't know how God is going to do it. You just know he's going to do it. And later on, when, when you know, we're cleaning up after what God does and what he's doing something, and, and he used to, you know, and he used you for some strange reason, later on when someone tries to give you the credit, and then you take that credit, you will be starting out walking around Jericho again and again. And we're going to see that next week. Why? Because we cannot take credit for God's work. We have to be so careful. For six days they do this. They walk. Six, six represents everything that man can do. So when you see the number six in the Bible, usually it has something to do with man. Then the seventh day, the holy day, the seven priests blow the seven rams. And after you, after you walk around seven times and almost all your energy is gone, you shout as loud as you can and the walls come down. I wonder if Jesus knows how silly this sounds here. Okay, God, you, you understand. I mean, come on. This sounds really silly. You understand that. Everyone walking and then the walls falling down. Can't you do something a little different? But this is not silly to Jesus. He created everything. He knows how the walls are going to come down. Walls mean nothing to God. Physical things mean nothing to God in, in that sense. I mean, after the resurrection, he walked straight through the walls, didn't he? The river, it meant nothing to God. This is not spectacular to God. He is not impressed by this. We are, but he is not. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. My ways are not your ways, the, the word says. My ways are higher than your ways. And the, when the Lord says the walls are coming down, guess what? They're coming down. They're coming down. 
All we must do is ask God to center us in him. That's one of the things that we forget. And we don't need to ask God why. Joshua doesn't ask God why. He just accepts it and does it. God gives him a seven-step plan here. Step one, gather everybody. Blow the horns, walk around the wall, go home. Step two, repeat. What do you think step three is? Repeat. Can you imagine the conversation? If I have to listen to those horns one more day, and we can't even talk when we're walking. Think about these guys in Jericho. How many days are we going to have to listen to those guys up there? They're up there shouting at us and throwing stuff at us. And, you know, and they're up there. The horns are waking us up. What are you doing? And you're just walking around in Israel. I would love for them to, you know, I, I would love to, uh, to give them a piece of my mind. You imagine them shouting back up to the walls. You're sitting there going, you know, just trying to keep your mouth shut. Trying not to say anything. How hard was it for them to be quiet? I think it'd be very hard. Now, you know what else is weird? Fighting battles is in Joshua's area of expertise. He's good at this. He's a veteran. He's not a rookie. He has fought battles for Moses, and he has never lost a battle. This guy's a pro. He's a general. He's a hot shot. And God has invaded his area of expertise. He could have very well said, God, I have this. I got this. Don't worry about this. I can handle this. But God came in and told him what to do. See, the difference is when you do not know how to do something, you know, you're willing to accept God's help, but when you're an expert at something and someone comes in and starts telling you how to do something, have you ever had that experience? Somebody comes in and starts telling you how to do something, you're like, dude, I've been doing this for 15 years. Get out of my way. So when God shows up, how much harder is it for you to know when and how to do something? And you come to that meeting with God, and God, you know, and you go, man, God, I got three different plans here. And God doesn't even want to see those plans. And you think you know how to raise kids, right? Well, then I'm going to give you a second kid, God says. You know, we've talked about this, the different personalities. Grayson has uh, one personality. Brandon has another personality. And it seems like we've got it all figured out. And then all of a sudden, another one comes along, and you're like, dude, I didn't know he wasn't going to sleep for like two and a half years. First one went to sleep really well. I don't know what the deal is. And everybody's giving you advice. Or how about you you were the wonder boy at your last company? But now they just assume you're in some type of slump or, or whatever at the new company. You're not as good as you thought you were. God does things differently, and we must allow him to change things. We can all be good, but God wants great. God, you know, good is okay, but God wants us to be great in him and through him. So let's forget about good and let's strain for greatness through God and in God. This is exactly the same thing Paul was saying in Philippians about running the race. And he talked about finishing strong. It's one of my favorite words. Uh, does anybody know what the word is? No one? I can't hear you with your mask on. Apocaridokia. It's that, that straining, you know, it's that neck being stuck out as you, as you go for the finish line. Okay, I know, I, don't, I look like a runner, don't I? 
I know. And you're stretching out. It's that, it's that stretching out as you, you go to the finish line. Apocaridokia to strain out your neck at, at that point. Verse 7, it says, advance, march around the city with armed guards going around ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched around ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until I tell you to shout, and then shout. Verse 11, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. And I wonder what the conversations were like in the tents. Honey, all we did was walk. You mean you walked? Did you do anything else? No. Did you shout at them? No. We had to be quiet. And if I hear those trumpets one more time, verse 12, it says, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord when the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. The wall, the ark, the trumpets. The wall, the ark, the trumpets for seven or six days. What is God doing here? God is doing the impossibility and then worship. Did you catch that? The impossibility, and then worship. The difficulty, and then the Lord. The thing that is not going to happen, but the thing has already happened. The impossibility of taking this city the way they're doing it. And then God's going to do it. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. I love the, I can imagine the wake-up call here. We know it's time to march, but man, we've got to do it seven times, Joshua said. He already told us the night before, we've got to do this seven times. Man, it's going to be hot. Break out the shorts. You know, nope, you mean we've got to wear our battle gear today? Yeah. Can we walk like four or five times, take a break for a couple hours, and then start walking again? He's like, no. Get your battle gear on. Get out there. We're ready to go. Verse 15, it says, On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on the day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab and the prostitute, uh, Rahab the prostitute, and all who were with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we, uh, we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, uh, otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to the destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. 
when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. This had to have been awesome. I mean, this history, uh, this is exciting to be, I mean, you could imagine that. The people up top, all of a sudden, you know, they're going, nah, 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 throwing stuff, and all of a sudden the walls start coming down and tumbling, and all of a sudden they're at ground level. They don't know what's going on. So every man charged straight in and took the city. They all just charged in. Could imagine, you know, getting to the middle. Don't shoot, don't shoot. We're on the same team, you know. Friendly, friendly. As they battled and got, you know, they charged in from all the way around it. It says in verse 21, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with its sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with the oath to her. So the young men had done the spying, went in, and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought her out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. What an amazing thing this all had to be, you know, uh, at this time. And, yeah, I wonder if Rahab and her family started repenting and, and started really truly believing. I mean, the, they believed in the Lord. They helped the spies. But, but how much did they believe in the Lord? At this point, they're sitting there going, okay, we believe. She asked for salvation, and guess what? She got the salvation. What an amazing time this would have been, yet the rest of Jericho did not. And when they realized that, it had been an amazing thing. They had seven chances, and Israel was not taunting them. Israel was not going, hey, you better, get, you know, turn or burn, you better be saved. They just showed God's resolve. God had already told the people to repent. For 400 years, God had been after these people to come back to him and not do the ways of the world, and they didn't, and God finally had enough. His punishment was here. The people didn't repent. Even after the water dry, you know, and the, and the river dried up, and, and when it comes time to shout, they shouted, and we read about another time when the trumpet will blow and when we will shout. It will be during the end times. And it will be too late for many people. That is so sad. It will be amazing for us, but so sad when you know how many people are not coming to the Lord. When you go back over this this week in your mind, you have to ask yourself, why did God do it this way? He could have taught them how to, you know, uh, climb walls. He could have protected them while they did it. He could have sent a plague to, to Jericho. He could have knocked down the walls before they even showed up and they would have been just all in disarray. But he did it this way. So they would know that God is in charge and he is the one that wins the battles and he is the one who's going to protect them, to teach them to rely on him when they're in the promised land and to experience this miracle because they obeyed the Lord. And because they did that, you will never see Israel so obedient again. And it's sad. Next chapter, they're already in trouble. But because they did that, 
They expected a miracle because of what happened here. Every time they go, they will, you know, they, they, they start kind of not relying on the Lord as much. For some reason, we think that we are different. We wish God could give us more instruction, but we refuse to obey God when he does give us instruction, right? And that's every one of us. At some point, God will give us instructions, and we have a chance to either obey or disobey. And I get this with my kids all the time, and if you're a parent, you understand this. There are times when you tell your child something, and they have a choice. And their child is to obey, or their choice is to obey, or disobey. When they obey, what happens? Parents are happy. Sometimes they get rewarded out of that. When they disobey, what happens? Discipline happens, right? Then the kids don't like it. I won't tell you that one of mine, probably back there, is he still in the booth? Oh, he's not in the booth. Okay, so this last week, Grayson, um, uh, this last week, Grayson, he, he was just not having Zoom. I mean, he was on the Zoom, kindergarten Zoom, and I, I love taking kindergarten again. And... Uh, and he was on the Zoom, not, just not paying attention, not listening. And I hit the mute button. I go, Grayson, if you don't start paying attention here, you will get in trouble after this. Well, his choice. He didn't pay attention. So I told him, we got a little place in his room, a little desk and all that. So I told him afterward, he, he goes, okay, I want my iPad. I want to do it. And I'm like, no, you get up there and sit on that bed. Why? Because you were not listening. You get a timeout for right now. Oh, he starts wailing. You know, like we took him up on the roof and threw him off the, you know, threw him off the roof and he hit the ground. You know, I mean, that's the type of wailing he was doing, you know, something like that. He's just wailing and wailing and wailing. And I'm like, oh, you can cry all you want. You still deserve this. But I don't want a timeout. As parents, you have to discipline your children sometime. So I let him well it out for a while and then went back in and talked to him and we talked it all out and he was, you know, eventually was okay. He stopped crying and all those things. But how often do we do that to God? But I don't want to follow your instruction, God. I don't want a timeout. And God's going, Alan, but you deserve the timeout because I keep trying to teach you this lesson and you're not listening. We have to listen to the Lord. It goes so much easier. See, this is why so many of us never experience the miracle of God's action in our lives because, you know, we want that, but God said, I need you to do certain things. I need you to follow through in our relationship. I need you to do what the Lord has instructed you on because you need to get out of Gilgal and you've got to take care of Jericho before you go further into the promised land because there are other things in the promised land that are worse than Jericho and you're sitting there going, how are we going to defeat Jericho when you first saw it? And God's going, I have things that I want to accomplish in your life, but first I've got to teach you this lesson so we can get to the next lesson. And if you follow me, you're going to be able to defeat the others. And it won't be a problem. But if you get out on your own, I'm going to have to discipline you. Something is happening in some of their hearts to have them follow the Lord. And some are going to follow him diligently. And then some aren't going to really listen so much. And they're not going to follow the Lord diligently. And unfortunately, we're the same way. Some of us experience the miracle, and we just, we're all in when it comes to the Lord. 
And then some of us are like, yeah, this is awesome. And the next thing we know, uh, we know we're, we're off on our own. And I, I probably need to stop because I'm starting to preach next week's sermon. I, need to, uh, I don't want to get there too, too quickly. But I tell you, the miracle of Jericho is an amazing thing that they see the battle can be won when you follow the Lord and when the Lord is in charge. And Israel will go for many years. And some battles they'll take and they'll realize God's not in this battle. And they'll lose some. And some battles they'll take and if the Lord is in it, they will just, it'll be an amazing thing. And we're the same way. We need to follow the Lord to win the battles and to win them properly. And miracles happen when we follow God. Amen? Well, let's pray as the worship team comes back up. Lord, I pray that that we rely on you, Lord. That we start to see the battles in this world that can be won through your help. When we give you the glory, when we give you the the. Uh, the desires and we follow your desires and, and when we give you ourselves it can be an amazing change into our world an amazing change into to our families lives Lord I pray for our church I pray for those that are struggling pray for those that are online that, that are sitting there on their couch and they're thinking I don't know how I'm going to make it through this but I want you to know that the Lord is in charge and he can get you through anything. It may not seem like it, but he can. Jericho was one of those cities that stood for so long. No one could defeat it until the Lord joined the battle. And it's the same way for us. The Lord can win the battles. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you be blessed this week when you follow his ways. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.